0: What's
1: up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast. Simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. David Konitsky is the CEO of Crackhead Financial, the first approved SPDI bank under Wyoming's new crypto-friendly legislation. He previously worked at Circle, Fidelity, and Grayscale Investments as well. In this conversation, we discuss the SPDI banking license, what it allows why Kraken applied, how incumbents are likely to react, and what users can expect from the business moving forward. I really enjoyed this conversation with David, and I hope you do as well. Before we get started though, I wanna talk about our sponsors. First up is BlockFi. BlockFi is one of my favorite companies in crypto. I'm an investor, I sit on the board, and I'm a user of their products. You can earn up to 8.6% APY in their new interest-bearing account product. You go in, you deposit crypto or a stablecoin, and earn up to 8.6% APY. Go check them out at BlockFi.com slash POMP. Those rates are unheard of in the traditional world. So go check it out, do your research, and go to BlockFi.com slash POMP, and they'll give you some cool stuff when you go there. Next up is Choice. Choice is a new self-directed IRA product that I'm also excited. If you're listening to this, you're likely part of the 7.1 million Bitcoin owners who have retirement accounts with dollars in them, but not Bitcoin. I was in that situation too. But now you can actually buy real Bitcoin in your retirement account. I'm talking about owning your private keys and using tax advantage dollars to do it too. This is an absolute game changer. I got my choice account. You should get yours. A self-directed IRA product that allows you to buy Bitcoin, hold the private keys, and use tax advantage dollars to do it. No brainer go to retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Again, retirewithchoice.com slash pomp. Lastly, don't forget that I write a daily letter to over 75,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy-to-understand language while sharing my personal opinion on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com. Com. All right, let's get into this episode with David. I hope you guys enjoy this
0: one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only.
1: All right, guys. Bang, bang. I've got David here with me. Thank you so much for doing this, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Let's jump right into your background. Uh, This is not your first rodeo, so uh, maybe talk to us just a little bit about where you grew up and what you did before you got to Kraken.
0: Yeah, so my background is, uh, you know, like a lot of people in this space, uh, kind of a cross section of a bunch of uh, disciplines and experiences that kind of, I'll say like we're purposeful, but really just like we're a series of like fortunate uh, accidents that, that led me to where I am, um, you know, grew up kind of like a math and science guy in the D.C. area. Uh, but when I went out to, to college out in Berkeley, um, kind of only mired in physics and, and studied actual uh, political economy uh, and then went to law school uh, where I studied uh, IP law. Uh, as well as corporate and securities law um, and so you kind of blend all those disciplines together and uh, you, some might say that's kind of a nice cross-section uh, to, to prepare you for crypto um, but, but quickly after uh, i went into law i started uh, practicing ip and then like i said corporate and securities working with private equity and hedge funds who actually were invested in alternative investments and kind of like strange ones things like a diamond fund things like an actual ip and licensing fund and i got really interested in these kind of esoteric assets and the markets are, you know, trying to be developed around them, uh, which led me to kind of leave law and try to be on the uh, fintech and financial services side, which I've done for the last uh, 15 years. Uh, first at a company called Second Market in New York, which is actually the predecessor company uh, to Digital Currency Group or DCG. Second Market uh, was a marketplace where we were building, uh, you know, services and, and venue trading venues for all sorts of weird and emerging asset classes, things like bankruptcy claims auction rate securities when that market froze up, uh, pre IPO private company securities. So before Facebook went pro- uh, public, we'd be selling their equity. And that's the market that I worked on and ran operations for. Uh, ultimately we spun that out and sold it to uh, Nasdaq. NASDAQ now operates today as NASDAQ private market. And that was right around the time fortuitously that Barry Silbert and I and others there were getting into Bitcoin. Uh, and so the transition to DCG started to take place and uh, Barry had a, a series of personal angel and VC investments uh, that got brought over to form what is now DCG. Uh, the fixed income auction rate uh, trading guys became what is now Genesis. And then I set up and ran Grayscale Investments in the Bitcoin Investment Trust, uh, which obviously um, you know, has been a, a runaway success, providing a, kind of a, a straightforward ETF-like uh, structure for, for getting access to Bitcoin exposure. Uh, got that listed on the OTCQX, raised a couple hundred million dollars, which obviously due to further fundraises and, and the price appreciation is now in the billions. Um but then uh, joined Fidelity Investments thereafter. Uh, they approached me and uh, were looking for a digital asset guy to kind of help them figure out their strategy in the space, work with their executives. Uh, obviously, that has now culminated in all the great work they're doing there. Um, and at, the, at Fidelity, I also served as a co-portfolio manager of an internal prop fund with uh, Matt Walsh and Nick Carter, the guys from Castle Island. Um, and so spent some good time there. And then actually the last two years before joining Kraken was at Circle, another uh, company in the space, helping them kind of restructure and overhaul their business uh, to kind of re-streamline it and build it around USDC, their stablecoin, uh, and all their API services around it. But uh, once that project was complete, uh, fortuitously again, uh, I've known Jesse and the folks at Kraken, and it's been one of the companies I've admired for a long time. So when this SPDI opportunity came up, opportunity came up I, I jumped at it. Uh, I think it's a massive opportunity for Kraken and the industry at large. You've
1: done so much. Uh, what is your official title at Kraken? Does Kraken uh, so- even have titles? First of all,
0: I love Jesse. I love Kraken, but that's, that should be the first question. Are, are there yeah. real titles at Kraken? You know, it's a valid question. Uh, Kraken is unique in a lot of ways, uh, but people do have titles. Uh, and uh, I, I joined, you know, as an MD. But now, um, now with the actual receiving of the charter that we'll talk about, um, you know, I'll be just dedicated to the actual bank that we're running, and I'm the CEO of uh, what we're tentatively calling Kraken Financial. Uh, still some internal debate about it, but that's the working title for the bank. What Can you say what the other names potentially could be? Uh, Kraken Bank, love to have a voter
1: poll. Between Kraken Financial and Kraken Bank, that's not very many options.
0: Yeah, well, hey, look, you don't want to overwhelm them with choice. I mean, you could have a write-in ballot if you want. I love that. Uh, Okay, so as the
1: CEO of we'll go with uh, Kraken Financial for now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's just talk about kind of the news, which is you guys have uh, received this approval. Um, Maybe talk through just what Wyoming is doing that is so special. uh, And kind of like what went into setting up the opportunity for you guys to actually apply and, and get this approval.
0: Yeah, totally. So yeah, as you referenced last week on Wednesday, um, we received our, our charter to become a, a special purpose depository institution or SPDI, which is the very specific type of bank that, that we're becoming. Um, and it's it's a very attractive framework for a lot of different reasons that, that we'll go into, but um, yeah, there's no shortage of work. Uh, that's a, It's a culmination of a lot of efforts and in another way, a commencement of a lot more effort. Uh, but uh, the Kraken team for well over a year has been working with uh, stakeholders across Wyoming at the legislature, the governor's office, uh, the relevant agency at the Wyoming Division of Banking, uh, and others in the ecosystem like Caitlin Long um, to help build this uh, regulatory framework and you know right-size it and tailor it to uh, the type of digital asset operations and the type of oversight that we think is most appropriate. Uh, so a ton of work went in. Uh, in earnest, uh, we we submitted our application uh, in Q1, and of Q1, beginning of Q2, uh, and then had a public hearing in August which um, you know, hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand pages uh, that application uh, document was comprised of, and then we had to present in front of the banking board, uh, and then they deliberated and ultimately decided to give us the charter. Um, and as I said, in some ways, this is a commencement because uh, we still have to now approach the Fed, get our Fed master account or other domestic correspondent banking relationships, get all you know operationalize everything uh, ahead of launch, which we're looking at Q1 uh, of next year for. Um, so, so it's been a process, but but it'll be exciting.
1: Got it. And uh, I saw the application binder. Uh, I think it was Marco Santori took a picture and tweeted it. And uh, it looked like something your teacher would plop down on your uh, desk in school and be like you have to read this and you'd be like, I'm, I'm going to drop the class. Like, <laughs> right? I mean, this thing was really, really uh, in depth. What exactly goes into all of that? Maybe talk a little bit just about like, what are they looking for you guys to provide in that application?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, they um, their obligation, the State Banking Board in particular, is a government-appointed group whose responsibility is uh, to the state of Wyoming is to uh, take a look at the statutory factors for granting charters to banks and trusts. And there's a, there's a series of them. You know, hey, is this is this good? Uh, is it? Did the is this bank have a reasonable likelihood of success? Does the management and and board uh, have the sufficient experience to to do what they say they're going to do? Is this going to benefit the local citizens? Uh, Can we ensure the safety and soundness of the organization and customer protection? Things like that. And so... All the materials that they want to take a look at and do diligence on those factors, we need to provide. And that includes uh, a basic application, but a, a pretty robust business plan that was, you know, 150, 200 pages, financial projections that accompany it. And then all of the uh, kind of drafted programs and policies and procedures uh, on the compliance side and the security side and the internal control side, uh, we drafted all of that stuff to and corporate governance side. And they took a look at all of it uh, to, to make sure that they weren't uh, just approving anybody out here. So it took uh, quite a bit of work. Um, and that's how you know, we're, you know, we're, we're qualified is that number of pages, kind of like a real life proof of work. I love that. Uh, so let's talk about these
1: SPDIs. Uh, what exactly do, is that? What does that mean? What can you do? What can you not do? Um, and, and just kind of give us a summary of for the, the non-banking experts, like what this actually means.
0: Yeah, as I said, uh, we're a bank, but it's a very specific type of bank. Uh, Probably the closest uh, analogous institution is like a custody bank or a depository institution of another kind. Um, It's very specific, as I said. Uh, It was built from the ground up um, to kind of have certain features that were very forward looking and digital asset centric. Um, And so there's two components to it. One, on the USD or national currency side, it is a full reserve institution, meaning that uh, we take customer deposits and we maintain 100% 100% uh, you know, coverage on those. We don't uh, conduct fractional reserves uh, or any rehypothecation or associated lending activities uh, that gives rise to some of the insolvency risks of a traditional uh, customer-facing and loan-making bank. Uh, so that's an important feature here. And the benefit of that, it's a trade-off, right? We can't do that and we can't make money on that, which is how a lot of banks make money. But on the other hand, uh, that allows us to avoid duplicative oversight from the FDIC, Uh, and certain restrictions around the bank holding company act. And so it's a, it's a real trade off there uh, because the type of risks that the FDIC and these things are meant to uh, guard against are that type of insolvency risk that stem from the activities we cannot conduct. On the other side, the digital asset side, they built a pretty unique framework here that takes advantage of uh, existing legal concepts like bailments uh, to kind of codify the relationship between depositor and the institution. When they give you their digital assets, they, uh, harmonized it with the underlying commercial code, uh, and they have a dedicated supervisory program that says, hey, here's what's required uh, to run this, and here's how we're going to oversee you and uh, examine you and audit you. Uh, that doesn't exist anywhere else uh, in, in the country. Um, so even though you see others pursuing different types of uh, charters or your trusts or bank charters, they don't know, uh, they don't have it codified exactly how the uh, examination process or oversight will work. Uh, so for those reasons, it was a very attractive framework and a, and a right-sized and reasonable one. Uh, Kraken, you know, this isn't regulation just for regulation's sake. This is regulation that allows, allows for this new type of business to run uh, while still mitigating the risks, that, the real risks that it faces.
1: Got it. And and so would it be fair to say that this is basically a banking uh, charter that allows you to merge the legacy type bank with fiat currency with a digital bank? um, And solve for very specific differences, not only at one in kind of the federal regulatory level or or insurance like FDIC, uh, but also uh, when it comes to these digital currencies, looking at things that are uh, native to digital currencies in terms of everything from storage, relationship, security, uh, etc. And it's really trying to solve that
0: problem. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, I think you've hit a lot of the nails on the head there. I mean, Kraken's mission has always been to promote the adoption of digital assets uh, to enable more individual financial freedom across the world. Um, Kraken Financial is a key tool in in doing that because it allows us to seamlessly integrate the existing financial system with digital assets. Uh, and you're correct that uh, the framework that I talked about spells out uh, very specific rules around how to operate in order to maintain the safe, you know, safety and soundness of the institution and customer protection rules around how you should be storing uh, digital assets and what your IT and IS program should look like, what your internal control structure should look like, things like that. Uh, and it's important to note too, that as a state chartered banks, state chartered banks are given all the same powers as federally or nationally chartered banks here. Uh, and so we do expect to pursue a more consolidated coverage, a regulatory coverage model here rather than, you know. Trying to get 50 mtls uh, money transmission licenses which by the way wouldn't give us uh, direct access to uh, banking infrastructure in the federal payment system anyways
1: got it and so what can you not do right it sounds like you got to have kind of 100 reserves but what else can you not do uh as part of this uh, this charter
0: yeah so the, i mean that's the big one the big one is that we're not taking customer deposits and then you know lending them out on the back end in a loan portfolio that the customer, you know, has no way of knowing what's in there, or, you know, assess its risk, and and has that kind of insolvency risk. So that's that's definitely the big one. Um, on on the other side of like what else we cannot do, uh, there's certain components about lending, even on the digital asset side. There's restrictions there as well. Everything there again was designed to ensure that this was uh, able to uh, speak to the type of digital asset operations we have, while mitigating the type of insolvency risks that a traditional bank faces. And so anything that um, puts our capital at risk um, and could lead to insolvency or bankruptcy, uh, they have put provisions in there uh, to kind of curtail that. Got it. And then from a serving the customer standpoint, is this
1: available to anyone in the world, anywhere in the United States, just in Wyoming? How do you think about kind of uh, addressable market from a customer-based standpoint?
0: Yeah, I mean, so, so to start, we're going to be focused on um, U.S. customers, specifically existing Kraken customers. Um, you know, Kraken is pursuing this uh, to cover three objectives. One is the regulatory one I discussed. We think this is like a right-sized, tailored approach with consolidated coverage. Uh, the second one is the infrastructure structure part I talked about getting access to the federal payment system and being able to integrate that more seamlessly into our product sets and customer experiences. And then third one is this is an entirely new uh, product uh, and distribution platform. We can do things that banks can do that non-banks can't. Uh, and so to start with, uh, it won't change much to the customer, frankly speaking. We'll uh, on the back end just have a different kind of licensure structure uh, and uh, we'll start to move over more of the infrastructure to the bank. The kind of second phase will be that this bank will take over the actual customer-facing operations and be that kind of portal uh, for all U.S. customers that Kraken serves in the U.S. Um, From there, two things will happen. One, uh, we'll look to whether we could expand internationally. We do expect to be able to do that. TBD, whether that means we'll serve customers directly internationally or simply serve other affiliated Kraken entities who will pass that on to their customers. And then the second prong of that third phase is that we'll be able to start launching new products. Things like, uh, you know, we'll be able to launch debit cards and payment services, maybe backed by digital assets. Things like IRA accounts or trust uh, accounts that can hold digital assets. Uh, Things like wealth management services, things like qualified custody for institutions or a good control location for broker-dealers. And then notably, we can also handle different types of assets, securities, commodities, things that a normal uh, custodial or depository bank could do. And so customers in that third phase will start to see a host of new features and products.
1: Got it. And, and so as you think through this, um, will this require every crypto company to become a bank, right? Or And is that kind of where we're headed with these OCC uh, type clarifications and things like that? Or, or just kind of how do you view uh, maybe the other large incumbent crypto companies and, and what the impact on them could be from this?
0: Yeah, definitely. So um, I do like, look, if you're dealing with crypto and the more crypto becomes, you know, like financial services and money, um, they're going to impose the existing or or analogous regulation on it. We've always understood that. Um, so whether it's, you know, a money transmission license or some other else, some framework will be required for much of the, the activities here. I do think that, that banking um, will massively grow over the next three years in terms of crypto companies becoming banks, uh, and uh, banks engage in, in crypto activities. Um, I think that for a number of reasons. One, look, banking, there's a lot of like different types of regulatory regimes for securities and broker-dealers under SEC and FINRA, You know, commodities derivatives under CFTC. Banking is the granddaddy of them all, to steal like a Rose Bowl term. Um, it is the bottom of the financial services stack and is the thing that everything relies on in many ways. And so it gives you um, kind of the broadest access, the broadest coverage, and uh, allows you to do a lot more than you could otherwise do. Now, with there, with come that, you know, along with that comes with great responsibility to be a good steward of the federal payment system and all of that. So only at first, I would imagine the largest crypto companies pursuing this, it's not easy to do. I would also expect uh, new types of regulatory frameworks to follow Wyoming's lead, whether it's at the state or national level. I think uh, these agencies are going to borrow pretty liberally um, from this framework. You mentioned the OCC guidance and interpretive letters a couple of weeks back. Um, I think July 22nd, they issued the, uh, the, the letter about banks being able to custody or deal with digital assets. Um, more recently, I think this week, they said, you know, banks can bank, stablecoin issuers, um, which is great. Like, I think those things could have been done already. It's always been my understanding that that was legally permissible. Um, but it means something to have that written down, especially if you're a big incumbent institution and have executives have risk on their mind. Uh, this helps with that. Um, now they, they still have a long ways to go in terms of developing an actual supervisory program and manual, uh, harmonizing with the commercial code, these factors that Wyoming already has in place. So they're a little bit behind there, but I think all these agencies are going to kind of develop something analogous.
1: So, uh, again, I'm not an expert in this, but uh, if Wyoming has kind of state. Uh, centric legislation. Uh, You could see other states, I guess, kind of incorporate or or come up with their own versions of it. Uh, Is there a um, either threat or an opportunity from a federal level if they just say, hey, you know what, that looks like a great framework, we're actually just going to apply that at the federal level. Uh, And then basically, every crypto company could be a federally chartered like banking institution using this framework on, on a federal, federal level? Or like, how does that work if, you know, basically somebody comes in over the top of Wyoming, basically with, with different regulation?
0: Yeah, no, it's like so many things in crypto. Crypto like kind of forces the issue on these types of like weird things you wouldn't think have to do. Like this is like constitutional law, state versus federal stuff. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting to see. And even outside of um, uh, crypto, you're seeing this. In the fintech world and traditional financial services, Um, And you're seeing the convergence of all three of these worlds, digital assets, fintech, traditional financial services, and the regulators are following suit. So as I mentioned before, um, state chartered banks and federally or nationally chartered banks have the same powers. Now, the the nuance there is that when you're a state chartered bank, generally you get recognition and reciprocity across state lines in your peer states. Um, There's some nuance there, uh, uh, especially here, where other states have very crypto-specific verbiage and laws. One example is New York with the bit license. We would expect to have to jump through a couple more hoops to to re-enter New York there. But at the federal level, there's federal preemption. And so that issue uh, is much more settled. So that would be the one benefit if that does happen. And you're right to say that there's both a threat and an opportunity. I view it as an opportunity because it's a competitive landscape, which forces state by state and versus federal to kind of up their game. And so I would expect, um, and you're seeing the OCC kind of lean this way, Uh, federal regulators to do the same. Now, whether uh, it should be governed by the state or the federal government is certainly uh, beyond my pay grade. Got it. And so when you think about
1: uh, kind of the impact, we've talked about crypto companies, what about the large uh, incumbent banks or financial service providers who uh, historically have had nothing to do with crypto? Does this uh, provide a pathway for them to go pursue? Uh, Maybe the OCC thing is more impactful? Like just how do you see the reaction from the incumbents?
0: Yeah. So as I said before, um, I think that the FCC letter—it's not rulemaking, it's not legislation; it's an interpretive guidance and and saying what me and and many others have already understood to be the case—that they could do this. But as I said, it really does matter from like a risk framework. Um, When you're a big and competent institution, you're saying, "Well, our existing business is this big. This crypto market currently is is this big, right? Um, And the risk is X, Y, and Z. Uh, This helps at least on the risk side." And so uh, it does help there from an institutional level, but also a a personal and individual level. There are real people in the boardrooms and the executive levels making this decision. Uh, Whoever has to make the decision wants something like that in their hand to say like, look, it's okay. Um, And you also need a leader there to be able to push things forward. Like I said, it was a fidelity. Fidelity is perfectly positioned in terms of incumbents to do this stuff because one, it has a a, a CEO and chairwoman who personally is invested in this. Obviously, it's like a private uh, family, by and large, family owned and run business. So it has more leeway than a, a public uh, company might. Um, but others in the space, seeing fidelities of the world, seeing this type of uh, legislation or rulemaking or guidance come out, it absolutely helps and kind of helps uh, get away with the uh, IBG-YBG problem, the I'll be gone, you'll be gone problem. A lot of executives sit here and say, crypto is not going to be a thing for five, 10 years. We're all older. We're going to be retired by then. I don't care, right? And so it's really risk averse. This at least helps mitigate that.
1: Got it. And in, in terms of um, the fidelities of the world, it seems like there are a number of institutions that are kind of crypto-friendly or, or crypto-forward thinking, um, is there a, a, a worry that uh, this banking charter, whether it's at Wyoming, federal or other states, just becomes a resource game and therefore like the legacy incumbents just have more resources and therefore kind of beat all the crypto companies to the punch and, and it's almost like a
0: regulatory arbitrage or, re- or like a regulatory moat to some degree? Yeah, like, yeah regulatory capture something. Yeah, and look, we see that. This is not like unique to this, like you see it in tech with Facebook and these other things, all the, the big, they, they want more regulation because it, it stops smaller competitors in some ways, right? Um, that, that, that may be the case. I will say, though, um, what has happened here, again, is a more streamlined, right-sized, you know, reasonable regulation. And so uh, it, it is meant to allow folks who are the size of a Kraken or potentially even smaller to kind of participate in this, in this banking uh, style game. Um, if you had a full-fledged bank, that would require even more assets. So, if anything, given where we are today, this helps the other direction. If anything, um, I would also point out that um, there's also the idea that you know, banking or financial services is a stack. And so, to the extent that you know, banking is uh, you know at the bottom of the stack, and there's bankers, banks, and enterprise kind of bank software and stuff, that will be able to enable smaller companies to build on top. And then, kind of, you have the kind of where on the stack uh, do they expand? Do, do the bottom go up, or does the top go down, um, at least it enables that to happen. So in my mind, it's a good thing.
1: Got it. And, uh, because it's in Wyoming, uh, you have to build the company in Wyoming, uh, talk a little bit just about internally, how you guys have thought about, you know, subsidiary standalone company, what the relationship between the, the, uh, Kraken financial or Kraken bank is to, to kind of legacy Kraken. Um, uh, and then from a team perspective, uh, you've got a bunch of pictures sitting on the wall behind you. So I'm assuming you're either coming or going and, and kind of explain that a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm sitting here in Wyoming now loving it. I uh, did recently relocate here. Um, you know, we built this structure. Um, Kraken Financial is a subsidiary of Kraken, the broader Kraken group of companies. But because it is a bank, uh, it needs uh, independent governance and, and management and operations, uh, unlike a traditional subsidiary. So we have our own board of directors, independent board of directors. We have, you know, management that is dedicated to this actual entity. Uh, We have our own balance sheet, our own, you know, everything there. Um, So while we obviously kind of are are bankrolled, so to speak, uh, and supported by Kraken and uh, share similar visions and missions and and objectives, we are in many ways an independent company. Um, That said, uh, you know, one of the things that comes along with that is this kind of like Wyoming footprint that we expect to have. As I said, I recently, recently relocated uh, from New York City, We've been living there for you know 15 years, uh, though you know I've been all over the country, so pretty versatile, luckily. Uh, but I'm seeing that path from New York to, to Wyoming happen more and more. Um, in, in many ways they're very different. In many ways they're very similar uh, from like, look, I went to New York, I was attracted to it because of freedom, right? I mean like you could be who you are, do what you want when you want. Wyoming kind of shares some of the same principles. A lot of other differences, of course. Uh, but but uh, but it's great so we're building an office here um, currently in slated for Cheyenne uh, which is a great region to be in uh, it's where the state capital is so we can work with our, our you know regulators the division of banking we can talk to the legislature uh, we have access to the University of Wyoming down the road here uh, and it's part of like the corridor north of Denver uh, which obviously is a growing and budding tech scene in and of itself uh, so we'll build, build an office here expect to have 10 to 25 heads in the first year. Uh, we expect to kind of build a lot of operations here, support the local ecosystem, which is obviously a lot of the motivation and impetus for Wyoming in creating this as a jobs economy, a uh, diversification play. Uh, and so we already are and have been sponsoring hackathons, conferences, supporting the local talent pipeline out of Wyoming, uh, bringing more people uh, here for our company events. In fact, the broader crack organization is looking at a company-wide uh, relocation program and even considering uh, re-domiciling its, its corporate uh, entity and headquarters here. Um, so so we're, we're committed. We found great partners here. I think it's a great place to do business. Uh, little known fact, next to Delaware, the, the next biggest state where the most companies are domiciled, Wyoming. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. Awesome. What um What are
1: the roles that you guys are going to be hiring for? So if anyone's listening to this and, uh, and wants to DM me on Twitter, they don't have to, and they can simply go and find out where they could get a job with you guys.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate that. We're always looking for good folks. So we're looking to fill out the, uh, the C-suite uh, with a uh, CCO, Chief Compliance Officer, and, and Chief Financial Officer. Um, and then from there, move down into the other managerial roles of the operational operations, finance, and compliance uh, departments, uh, and then on to more junior kind of like staff level roles. So definitely going to be hiring a, a ton here and always interested in talking to quality candidates.
1: Where, uh, is the website the same as just going to kraken.com or should they go to like krakenfinancial.com?
0: Yeah, so the, we, we leverage the same kind of job site as Kraken right now. Uh, we'll probably have a landing page at some point soon of our own, uh, but for right now, yeah, kraken.com.
1: Got it. Uh, What's been the biggest surprise during this entire process? Uh, You know, if I talked to you four years ago, I doubt you thought that you were going to be the (laughs) CEO of a bank sitting in Wyoming. Uh, Just what that process to to kind of getting here. What 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 has that surprise been?
0: Yeah, I mean maybe it's full circle. I was born in El Paso, which is just down I twenty five. I mean number of hours, but uh, kind of maybe I'm returning home. Once once you drink from the Rio Grande, you always come back. They say so. uh, It's kind of like a homecoming here out west. Um, Yeah, no. So a number of things, right? I, I look back at my career and be like, oh, it all ties together neatly. Obviously, you like make things up in your head. We're we're all sense-making machines as humans. Um, but but realistically, when I look at this, um, I think you're seeing the dispersion and distribution of financial centers and the financial game all over the world. Uh, you know, coming having lived in New York for the past 15 or so years, um, outside of a sojourn to Boston, you know, it's it's very interesting to see because you think of you know New York. London, Singapore, as these financial capitals, um, that's starting to distribute a little bit more. same thing is happening obviously with tech, a very similar story there. Um, maybe it's exaggerated on Twitter by a lot of people. Everyone's moving out of the cities. It's like, talk to me when a 20 something who's single moves out of New York or San Fran, right? Uh, but, but in any event, um, a couple things have surprised me in this process. One, um, the Wyoming folks have been incredibly savvy. They've done their homework uh, much more so than any other regulator or agency that I've ever encountered um, in my life. Um, They've kind of fought this from the ground up. They've done the work to get smart on digital assets. They've done the work to harmonize this with their peers in other states and at the federal levels. And they're really looking to build something here with the support of of the legislature and the governor's office. Um, So that's really surprised me, just how savvy and far ahead of the game they were. Um, The other thing here that's really surprising to me is just how many uh, since the announcement last week we started to become a little bit more public about it. Just how many uh, and the types of organizations uh, that we've been uh, talking to that have been inbound. and it's the same thing I saw when we were trying to sell the Bitcoin Investment Trust back in 2013. I mean, you'd go into city or whatever institutional investor and pitch it to them. I mean, the heads would cock, you know, the eyes would squint up, and it's like, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, and in some ways, that's still the same when you're talking about banking relationships in the digital asset industry. But the amount of like partners who want to be our correspondent banking partner, who want to uh, build on top of what we're building, uh, and the names, uh, has been really accelerated from where I thought it would be.
1: That's awesome. Uh, before I get into the rapid fire questions to wrap this up, mm-hmm. uh, I got one question. Jesse's been on once or twice, I can't remember. Uh, what's the best and worst thing about working with Jesse. <laughs>
0: uh it's interesting so uh let's see here he's got to be careful look at him look at that that deep breath look at at me screaming in my chair here you got me all nervous (laughs) hot around the collar no no jesse's like jesse's great i like look i've known jesse before this and i've admired him for a long time um I, i love the way that like he has and this is reflected in kraken it's like the customer centric and willing to challenge and take a stand on things that um, in the near term, it'd be easy to roll over on uh, and say, like, look, let's just go path of least resistance or whatever, but if it doesn't align with our mission, our values, and in fact, at the end, what we believe to be in the best interest of the customer, he fights for that um, quite a bit. Uh, He also like obviously thinks of the box and carefully considers things from a very different perspective, for sure. Obviously, uh, I think, uh, I forget who said this, but if you work for a company whose CEO isn't at least a little bit intense like move to a different company, you know what I mean? Uh, and so Jesse has a great engine on him. He's always thinking, he's always trying to get involved, uh, which is tremendous. Um, but what you're also seeing at the same time is Kraken and Jesse go through this maturation process of building this kind of like, uh, very kind of financial corporate company that that's expands the, uh, across the globe. And uh, in order to kind of take that next leg up. And so it's been a, a tremendous thing to watch.
1: It, uh, it, it is fascinating to me to see somebody who has built you know one of the great crypto companies and kind of really uh, you know, been at the tip of the spear of innovation and kind of push the pace uh, of growth, then have to go deal with uh, regulators, politicians, banks, like the, 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 uh, the clashing of styles there has to be uh, a, an absolute uh, thing to see.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, like he's, he has his own style, but people appreciate uh, authenticity, which he certainly is. And people appreciate, you know, straight shooters and, and new ways of thought. Um, you know, it's, it's shocking. And it's great to see him, you know, you see him on Twitter, he has opinions, he, he puts himself out there. Um, it's very most financial services company executives just say, it's easier if I just don't have an opinion, right. Um, so it's great to see that. that.
1: Absolutely. Uh, before I wrap up two questions, then you get ask me one. First one is what is the most important book that you've ever read? Oh, the most important book
0: that I have ever read, Slaughterhouse Five, Kurt Vonnegut. Why? Uh, I think it like brought a very unique perspective to you know you're talking about World War One, Two in history, um, kind of like it from a very specific perspective. The perspective that he brought on it um, was very different, very humanizing, very individual in nature, and I think it kind of um, underlies a lot of what I see today and like you know in the media, um, you know, or else. where, where, you know, a lot of different perspectives. Uh, Truth is a very elusive and hard thing. um, And I think it's been instructive.
1: Love that answer. Uh, Second one's more fun. Aliens, believer or non-believer?
0: Oh, you know what? I love a good, like, I'm specific about it, but I love conspiracy theories, like very specific ones. Uh, So absolutely a believer. My favorite one, though, uh, is the moon landing. Like, are you telling me that the United States went to the moon in the 60s and literally, no one has ever set foot again on it. That's we enough. All right, you ready? So yeah.
1: uh, I used to joke all the time and say, "You're telling me they were live streaming from the moon?" But I can't get Sunday football to, to live stream correctly, right? You know, in 2020. I mean, yeah. But somebody corrected me. I did not know this. We've gone four times. It was all within a span of I think like four or five years.
0: Uh, but then we never went back. So and no one else has. Are you telling me that Russia or China wouldn't be like, we can do that, right? It seems odd to me. I don't know. Just saying. So, what what are the probabilities?
1: Do you think it's more probable that we didn't go to the moon, or more probable that aliens exist?
0: Oh man, let's see. All, all my guys who are like actual like Bayesian like risk guys and stuff will will hammer me on this for sure. Uh, like, I think from a, uh, it's probably more. It's more probable that it's more probable that there are aliens, just in the grand scheme of things, that there is everything, right? Probably is what I would say.
1: That's a fair answer. All
0: right, you get ask me one question to finish up. What do you got for me? What color would you say your eyes are? Color of my eyes? Yeah. Oh, like, they're blue. The 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 screen screws them up. You don't get more nuance than that? They're kind of no, green too, you know. Nope, no. Just what blue. are you but more more seriously though. Um like beyond uh like the financial services or whatever uh here in the in the crypto space, outside of like traditional financial services and regulatory stuff, what are you like most excited about here? Uh well, <laughs> I'm cheating cuz I just
1: revealed everything yesterday. Uh, One of my partners and I, Jason, uh, we've been uh, buying a bunch of digital art. And basically Mm. the thought process is if you, if you take gold and Bitcoin and you put them next to each other, like Bitcoin's superior in every way. Right, And then if you take traditional art and digital art, you put them next to each other, digital art is um, superior in every way. And so I think like exactly what you're talking about in 2013, you'd be like, what the hell is that, right? Uh, that's about to play out all over again with digital art compared to this traditional art. Um, and what becomes interesting to me is like, you not only are going to get a better user experience, like I just hang a screen on my wall and it can change as motion, there can be noise, like all that kind of stuff uh, with just the art itself. But then also you start to look at like, you know, the traditional art world is heavily, heavily manipulated, right? It's all like, okay, everyone come together in this one room and then we're going to auction something off and like, we've done all this marketing and, it's like, wait, what? Like now, there's just the internet, right? You just put things up, and anyone with an internet connection can like have access to it. Um, so I think that like that's probably one big area. Uh, and then the second area that I find absolutely fascinating um, is this idea of like complete decentralization uh, of like an organization. So kind of like the Dow was kind of like a like a like an attempt. Uh I don't think we're anywhere near like yeah. a, a legitimate shot again. Uh but I do find it very fascinating if you can basically you know imagine if you could have an uh, organization where there was no leadership and all of the decisions were made by like driving consensus like that's super interesting uh, again i don't want to be a part of any of it i don't want to like uh, risk any capital there yet yeah. like we are just nowhere near being able to do that but i think like that general train of thought is uh, is fascinating to
0: me yeah yeah we're early there but it's, it is amazing like think of coase theorem as transaction costs get lower firms kind of dissolve into like uh, the, the world. I mean, it'll it'll be really fascinating for sure.
1: I, I don't want to say what company it is, but I saw one company that they basically had taken their cap table and they had put it on the Bitcoin network. Like they basically were like tokenizing it on the Bitcoin network. And I, I don't understand all the technical details, uh, but I was talking about like making a potential investment. And they started talking. I was like, wait, what? Like there's no organization. And you just saw like, yeah, that's where the world's going. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, it may not happen for a while, but at some point it's definitely
0: going to happen. I know. I love, I love the space. I mean, look, there's so much stupid stuff happening. Uh, but like, who am I to say what's stupid? Uh, like, the ability to like, try stuff is pretty unprecedented in this world. Like, there's going to be some, uh, some, some spilt milk, for sure. Uh, but, but it's interesting. I talked to uh, Sam
1: Bankman-Fried from uh, FTX and yeah. Alameda Research, and uh, he had a great way to put it. He basically said, uh, "If you're a capitalist, you don't care about what is stupid and what's not. You just care about how to make profits." And like, <laughs> yeah. and when you look at it through that lens, like, okay, like that—that's something that I think Wall Street will get very excited about, right? Is yeah, like I love,
0: love him and Dan at CMS. Like, do you want to be right or do you want to make money? Which is it? That's exactly right.
1: All right, David, where can people find you on the internet and find out more about uh, Kraken Financial?
0: Yeah, so go to kraken.com. I mean, if you're an existing customer, expect to hear more from us soon. If you're not, sign up for kraken.com so you can get uh, access as early as possible. Um, And then, you know, at Kanitsky K-I-N-I-T-S-K-Y on Twitter.
1: Awesome, man. Thank you so much. We'll have to do this again in the future.
0: Yeah, for sure.